This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng and Kusu Chuang. It's now 9.35. Time for the SM show. Ooh, <laughs> That's ow, the show. Oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> That hit the spot, John. (laughs) This is, of course, the show (laughs) where we rant about what's working in markets and rant about what's not working. Uh, Today's theme, deflation and the consumer investor, or the investor-consumer, so to speak. Um, What exactly is deflation and are we on the cusp of uh, uh, deflationary... Uh, con- con- conditions. This, yeah, <laughs> deflationary <laughs> conditions. <laughs> but in my mind, is like us, right? Uh, we are both uh, inv- investors as well as consumers. Um, and the question is, how would a period of falling prices, which is what deflation technically is, um, would that be, would would that be good or bad for you? And as a consumer, of course, it's good for you because prices coming down, uh, your money becomes more powerful. You can buy more stuff. But over the long term, yeah. deflation is actually very bad, even for the consumer, Does because uh, there is a prospect that he might lose his job or her job. Yeah, yeah. You know, sort of the labor person is actually quite a nice environment to be in, right? But um, when I look at your, you know, Julian has got a sequential thing going on in, on, in, on my notes. <laughs> yeah, give away my trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you to do all the nice stuff in between. But at the end of the day, deflation leads to mass unemployment. It, okay. can, it can, it can, it can, because it it, can. it, um, it creates this spiral effects on expectations. First, uh, when you see a situation of deflation, you see, hey, today my cupcake costs one ringgit, right? Uh, and tomorrow is going to cost 80 cents. And therefore, I'm not going to buy it today. I'm going to buy it tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, you say, hey, tomorrow, the next day, it might be 60 cents. So this can create a kind of spiral effect where people hoard their money, they don't spend with the expectations of price coming down, and eventually it will affect corporations who have to make these decisions about hiring or firing, expanding or uh, contracting, buying machines or not buying machines. Because prices are falling and because people are not spending, they will make the more conservative decision. And if the decision becomes too conservative, it will have this knock-on effect on the entire economy and it's bad for the economy. So that's why um, central bankers around the world are looking at the inflation figures, right? They they look at inflation figures and they watch, why isn't it creeping up? Why isn't it creeping up? It's in fact, you know, stagnating or even falling in some cases. Yeah, but but there doesn't seem to be any way these central banks have got any clue in terms of resolving this inflation issue. The, The biggest weapon that they've deployed is monetary policy and they've basically quantitatively eased around the world and this has ended up in the situation where I'm going to cite Bill, Bill, people like Bill Gross and Lord Rothschild here your member la, oh, your my friends friends, <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah we have that time together <laughs> yesterday, um, yesterday global yields according to uh, Bill Gross lowest in 500 years of recorded history 10 trillion dollars of bonds that are in negative rate territory this is a supernova that will explode one day and he's right this, these are artificial conditions. This is the biggest experiment, according to Lord Rothschild. In, in you know, the six months in the review has been the greatest experiment in monetary policy in recorded history. 30% of global bonds are in negative rate territory. Yeah. It's got to, the, something's got to give. I love the supernova analogy because it's when the star is the brightest before it dies off, right? So mm-hmm. uh, is this where we are right now where a lot of money sloshing around, stock markets at all-time highs, financial assets are going up. So some of these investors are very happy 
But is this uh, the you know the brightest moment before the star fades? Yeah, yeah, you know. So I mean, people are a lot Rothschild, and I think uh, Odin Crispy as well, um, or is it Crispin Odi? You hang around with very esteemed company. No, no, this because internet I can read like you see. So <laughs> <laughs> people like people are lot Rothschild. It's like online dating, like you're you kind of like, like, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Stop whipping me. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> So Crispin Odie, he, he's this British billionaire. You know, he runs a few funds and he's now more than 95% in gold, okay? Lord Rothschild has just upped his interest to something like 8% of his portfolio. And, you know, conventional metrics say that you shouldn't be more, you know, be more than 5% or 3% in gold. People like that have just gone great guns into gold because they think that this is the safest haven hey, they can be Didn't I just read that George Soros cut his holding in gold? I mean, he's betting against gold now. Yeah, he's betting again against gold, but it doesn't mean that he's um, um, you know optimistic about the economy because where he put his money by selling gold is that he is betting on the world ending as we know it, the apocalypse coming, right? So he's putting a lot of money into an apocalypse situation where bunch of cherry people <laughs> markets will crash <laughs> off. Uh, basically, he's buying co- uh, puts, like puts on uh, places like China and so on. But you know, going back to all these commentaries that you read, uh, Chuang, I think the policymakers around the world are really struggling to get up inflation. Uh, for example, you have headlines like UK inflation hits a 20-month high at 0.6%. 0.6? 6. 6, right? And people get excited about headlines like this. Uh, when you see this, when you see the sentiment of people with um, great excitement over just 0.1 bits of inflation happening, they get so excited. You know that uh, something is wrong somewhere. Um, in another headline, the U.S. San Francisco Fed president, he wants the U.S. to raise inflation target of 2%. Now, the U.S. inflation, uh, and they put this target of 2% because for the longest time, uh, the U.S. inflation had been very low. In fact, they struggled. They struggled to even make barely 1% of inflation rate. Uh, but the San Francisco Fed press wants it to, to move beyond 2%. So how are they going to achieve this? Well, this 2% target is Ben Bernanke's doing lah. You know, his time yeah, when exactly. he set that target, right? I remember <coughs> the day when he set that target and then um, Janet Yellen kind of took that forward with the whole being data dependent, right? Just following this 2% target. But uh, John Williams, like you mentioned, Jules, he's not the first guy to, to propose a rethink about central bank policy, central bank method or orthodox orthodoxy, as they call it. Um, he's not the first guy to do this, but whether he will be listened to is another matter. Lah. I mean, you're talking about shaking up the whole foundations of how uh, the FMOC or the Federal Reserve FOMC, set, yeah, FOMC. FOMC <laughs> set their, excuse me, how, how they set um, their decision to raise or cut interest rates. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it also is a reflection of the biggest story that has, that's at hand because inflation is supposed to reflect elements of growth around the world. And if you have low inflation, that means uh, the world is seeing very low growth. And I guess uh, when the Fed uh, San Francisco chief uh, says that they want in- he wants inflation target to go beyond 2%, I, I suppose that is a cue that uh, he doesn't want there to be a premature interest rate rise because it may kind of derail the progress the U.S. has made so oh, far. But he wants it to be higher than 2%. Exactly, okay. yeah. So, you know, not for nothing, you know this Mr. Long, Julian, and um, <laughs> Jules. <laughs> i got to put you on the spot because... Investment-wise. Investment-wise, correct. Investment-wise, Mr. Long. 
So I think if you could invest for eternity, you would. You know, that's much like that Calvin Klein perfume. Um, <laughs> so what is one to do? I, I prefer a Calvin and Hobbes perfume rather yeah. than Calvin yeah, yeah. Klein. Especially yeah, so, Hobbes. So yeah. what is one to do? What right? is one to do? Are you supposed to... I mean, how, how is supposed to... How is the, per, the normal, ordinary Joe Bloggs layperson supposed to countenance what is supposed to happen? Okay, so let's break this down into layers, right? And the first line of defense would be your role as a consumer. And as a consumer, you kind of like deflation in the short term because you can buy stuff for cheaper yeah. unless you are having a fear where you will lose your job. And that brings us to the next level where as a consumer, you're also an employee. You want to make sure that your job is secure. You want to think of retraining yourself so that you can continue to be gainfully employed uh, should a deflationary situation arrive. Um, and then uh, you want to think about how you're going to save money where uh, I guess, you know, that's that's the next level. You as, an, an, right? as yeah. an investor. And I think uh, perhaps uh, we, we have to give a little bit of background as to what is happening around the world. For example, uh, how the QEs are affecting in, um, investments and what really is the signal of uh, the, the QEs. Okay, it's now 9.44. After this, we will talk more about what to do um, in times of deflationary conditions. What do you invest in? And assuming that one is, in fact, looming. So, details after this on BFM 89.9. Good morning, it's now 9.46. You're listening to The SNM Show. I'm Melissa, I've got Julian and Chuang here with me. We're talking about deflation and the investor-consumer. So... Enough with the teasers, Jules. What should we invest in def deflationary Okay, times? first of all, uh, we haven't come to the conclusion of whether there is or there isn't a deflation. I guess that um, the economy is all about expectations. And when central banks, they do their thing, they want to make sure that you have good and confident expectations of the future so that your sentiment wouldn't domino into the rest of the economy uh, you know, in a spiral effect. And I guess... Um, you know, we, we speak to uh, commentators privately um, uh, now and then, and uh, we ask uh, some of them whether um, this, this role of uh, putting in good expectations for the economy is working well among central bankers. Like the QEs, for, for instance, do you guys think that QEs were essential for the economy? Yeah. Well, well that's, I mean, that's difficult because now in hindsight, you know what the... the do you? Well, in hindsight, you think, well, has the QE worked, right? Because has there been a real trickle-down trickle down effect for all the money that's been pumped in? QE, uh, conventionally, and I'm not an economist here, you know, but um, QE, low interest rates, liquidity in the system, is theoretically a, a one way to jumpstart, effective way to jumpstart the economy. Jumpstart the economy. And it also gives uh, some kind of jolt to expectations. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I mean, in Malaysia, the last seven years have been fantastic for the property sector, fantastic for the share markets, and there has been arguably a good rise in wealth, um, paper and otherwise, for the bulk of Malaysian investors who have been in these asset classes. And then there's the trickle-down in consumption and so on and so forth. Yeah, so in the words of one economist that we speak to, he says that QE is supposed to flatten the yield curve by bidding up prices at the long end, i.e. reduced term premiums. Ayo. What is he saying? So Why is that? Why is that? <laughs> so what he's saying is that um, the central bank, the Fed at least, is trying to jumpstart the economy through a number of channels, uh, through the portfolio effect through wealth effects and also through the reduction of long-term interest rates. This is a kind of uh, sign or activity that a central bank goes into to avoid a deflationary spiral, I suppose. And I'm, not, no, I'm no economist either. Um, and 
today we can safely say that we don't currently have deflation in the historical sense, i.e. the Great Depressions of the, the Great Depression of the 1930s, where we actually saw real deflation right, happening at right. the time. We don't have that at this point in time, but we have pockets of deflation, like what's happening to certain industries in China, for example, the steel industry, the oil, in the oil and gas industry, for sure, we are having a deflation, and the entire commodity complex is also going through a kind of deflation. Well, but overall, overall, the world is still eking out some growth. And you don't get that kind of growth. Yeah, but it's only because yeah. it's on life support because of these huge you know, billions and trillions of quantitative easing that's being pumped up by central banks. If you look at the property, property sector, you know, prices have fallen and they've corrected a little, not a lot, but by a little bit. And the share market seems to be driven by purely on sentiment and fund flows, which is very, very transient in nature. Which, which brings us... Fundamentally, the Malaysian economy has been shrinking five quarters in a row. 4.0% right. has been the lowest in X number of years. And uh, it's been only domestic demand that has really propped it up because when you look at corporate, corporate investment, it's also trickled to slow. And I think that, that's thanks to deflation, Jules. Yeah, I think yeah. it's neo-deflation. It's the new kind of wow. deflation. I am so going to wow. coin that term, guys. <laughs> neo-deflation. <laughs> you heard it Possibly. here first on Possibly. the SM show. <laughs> yeah, and in Malaysia, we also see that inflation has come down to pretty low levels of 1.6% is the latest so one. What, what does the, one peak, the peak of this year was 4.2%, right? Yeah. We, we yeah. Are, we're experiencing actually a kind of disinflation. And that brings us uh, to the next point as to what you invest yeah. in. Because what should we do? Correct. Exactly. What should you buy? Yeah, because, because you can't leave it in the bank. Or can you? Because if interest rates are, are, are low, you, you, your time deposits are low. Right. But at the same time, inflation is not rising as much to uh, obviate your cash deposits. Then shouldn't you just... Keep Just it as keep cash, it, right? Keep it as yeah, cash, yeah. Cash could be king in times of deflation. Yeah. Yep, so in a nutshell, uh, what's good? Uh, investments in deflationary situations, uh, cash, uh, government bonds, because the government will guarantee you a fixed payment, which is a good thing in deflationary times. As de if deflation happens, your fixed payments become more and more, more. valuable, right? Mm -hmm. So government bonds are good. Uh, ironically, uh, let, wait, let, let's go to the bad stuff first. The b f bad for deflation stocks, commodities, and corporate credit. Corporate credit because uh, the co companies would find themselves to be in a position where it becomes more and more difficult for them to service interest. So corporate credit becomes yeah. quite risky. But the interesting one is gold, right? Because gold... You buy gold when there's inflation, but you also buy gold when there's deflation. As a safe haven. Yeah. Okay, so, so is that... So in a nutshell, buy gold or not? Yes. Yeah, I, I think um, gold, gold is like cash as well. You, you can translate yeah, gold into yeah. cash. Yeah, the thing is, you, you've got to keep it in the system. You, you can't, you should, I mean, if you believe that Armageddon will not happen, then you don't take physical possession of gold because it's only, you can only leverage it, you can only transfer it around, you can, you can only see it grow under your feet right. if it's in the system, i.e. in the computer. You don't take physical because once you've taken physical, you need to store it. Yeah. You need to store all it. All the costs that, that involves. keep the thieves away. Jules, you said um, equity markets, stocks, bad for uh, bad during deflationary times. You yeah. said that? Okay, because why? Because companies are experiencing the inability to raise prices uh, and they are trying to struggle with demand. Demand is low because people are not going out there to spend. They are waiting for the next day where prices will become cheaper. And also, mm -hmm. a lot of people are, uh, again, if there is a situation of mass and unemployment, they are not spending as well and companies will be in trouble. So stocks, unless you're talking about the tech sector, which is really seeing a resurgence in growth, uh, and that's because of 
the substitution economy where the new economy substitutes the old, right? So the tech companies are doing actually very well, but the rest of the old economy stocks, uh, they would uh, be in some kind of a fix. So by correlation, the people people who have lots of cash and cash hold, cash-like holdings... Cash will be king. Yeah, and, and basically now it's party time for them, it's buffet time, isn't it? Because because asset prices are on the way down, leverage costs are rock bottom levels, you know, it's, it's a great time to be buying stuff, isn't yeah. it? Really, right? Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, but uh, that's based on a, an expectation that the central banks would do their job and there would be no big crash. Uh, that's what a but lot of. But they can't afford it, though. I but mean, it's not a, just lot of, a lot of banks. equity investors are hoping that the, the, there is no big crash. But exactly, but you can you can see the end is. I mean, you can see how it's going to end. end. Nigh. You can see how it's <laughs> oh, going to end yeah. because of all this debt, but you just don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. You know that there's also something to be said about the kind of negative interest rates that are going on in the world right now, um, actually catalyzing the behavior of money. Money is really. They don't mind paying negative interest rates because they fear that the alternative is worse, right? So they, they put their money in the banks and th- which charge them half a percent or one percent kind of interest rates, negative interest rates, right? It costs you to put money in the yeah. bank and yet money is still going to the banks. And it also causing a lot of investors to hunt for yield. And it's driving this very, um, what this, uh, again, this economist that we speak to, uh, driving a very interesting role reversal in that people are trading bonds for capital gains. Because when you expect a, a bad situation, you expect interest rates to fall. And when interest rates fall, that's a good thing for bonds. So people are going into these very long duration bonds just to expect to get capital gains out of that. With the but, expectation that rates will fall. But they are putting their money also into di- high dividend yield stocks. So you have come to this very warped situation where you're buying bonds for capital gains and stocks for yield. What? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just another disruption, distortion of the system. You know, when I look at Chris Benodi's uh, portfolio, he's got 86.4% in gold, okay? He's got... Uh, Thirty-six percent in. That's right. Doesn't add up, right? So eighty-six percent. Notional, notional exposure. Okay. So I don't know what that means, okay? okay? But it's just a lot, okay? Yeah, it's um, huge. Most of his thing is in gold, uh, and it's really scary because it is so distorted. How how can you buy bonds to, for capital appreciation, thereby sending yields to their record low levels, and buying stocks for for safety it's smart, right? It's got to come to a <laughs> yeah. head somehow. Something's not working right here. This is a topsy-turvy world now. Tis. Yeah. Tis. Ooh, tis. All tis. right. Uh, coming up to 9.55 right now, we've got Girls Who Play Guitars by Maximo Park. You've been listening to the SM Show with Kusu Chuang, Jilin Ng and me, Melissa Idris. Um, the 10 o'clock news is coming up shortly. So stay tuned on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.